What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is Monday, January 30th, 2023. Phil, it is our final show of the month of January for 2023. Again, I am PK. The guy I just addressed is Phil. Phil, welcome into a uh, a victory-filled Monday morning, afternoon, night. It was a very successful weekend for Buffalo Sports. Yeah, it was. I really didn't know where you were going with that and last of i was like what what are we in the last of right now it's january so it's not the year and uh i don't know if we're ending the podcast all together without you telling me we're just this is it we're shutting it down this is the final it's one. over i just yeah, used to tell me until we were recording well that's good it's a live know. reaction <laughs> but yeah no it was, it was a good weekend it was a fun weekend buffalo sports i mean for a while there we were covering four teams every weekend we had some jam-packed shows this one Still four games, which is a little unique for the Bandits, but a little bit uh, a little bit lighter. No Bills, no Buttes, but a good weekend overall. Yeah, it's going to be a fun game to talk about and multiple fun games to talk about. But if you want to follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram, we are at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com and check for the time breakdown, di- breakdowns in the description of the show. You're only going to see two times there because we only got two segments. We'll start with the Buffalo Bandits. we got two games to talk about. Very rare experience to have to break down two games. We had a preview to have to break down two. Hopefully the show is a bit shorter than the Friday one. One, but I'm assuming it's going to be because it's very fun-filled games to talk about. We'll talk about the Friday game first versus Philly. One thirteen to nine. Nanacoke, three goals. Solver, Buchanan, and Smith each had two. And McCulley, Weiss, Byrne, and Brandon Robinson each had one. Vince made 45 saves. Shots were 60 to 54 in favor of the Bandits. Face-off wins. Went to the wings 16 to 9. Bandits were one for two on the power play, and the wings were two for seven. Yeah, I think. That's kind of the big point from this one. I mean, I think that was all pretty much the first half as far as the wings go on the penalty or power play and the bandits on the penalty kill. The first half of this one, it was complete flip of the script in the second half, but the first half was pretty brutal. The bandits got off to a very slow start against a not so great team. They had six penalties in the first half. A lot of that was even in the first quarter and you simply cannot find your rhythm you can't have a good game you can't play well when you are down six times in the first half it's just not going to work whether they were you know supposed to be penalties or not I think in my breakdown I had most of them were good penalties as as far as the refs go the bandits were just taking really stupid penalties and ones that for the most part were unnecessary sometimes you you have a penalty that's going to happen but most of them I think were just Bad plays by the Bandits, and they really cleaned it up in the second half, but the first half was pretty brutal and had me a little worried as far as that game went. Yeah, you summed it up perfectly. It felt almost like the second half of Rochester bled into the first half in this game because the offense had so many issues. It was very sloppy in the first quarter. The second quarter, it seemed like the offense figured it out, but Zach Higgins just played out of his stinking mind and they hit post and it, it was an unbelievable weirdly second quarter with the penalties and being on the power or penalty kill for so long and it was it was definitely a weird second quarter but the first quarter just felt so sloppy like there were missed passes there were drop passes the offense seemed out of rhythm and you definitely were worried oh no it's Rochester 2.0 it just bled into this game and then something switched the defense buckled down in the second half the the offense figured it out I think 
the big turning moment was Brandon Robinson scoring with like 0.4 seconds on the clock to end the first half. It, it felt like, okay, we got a little bit of rhythm because they went on to go on a seven, nothing run <laughs> from that one second until six twenty one left in the third quarter. It, there was nothing else. And it, it, the wings at one point did cut it down to one, but then bandits just put four in a row again. It was like, okay, Philly's going to cut it close. We just got to pour it on once again because, I mean, a 7-0 run and then a 4-0 run is a huge game of runs for the Buffalo Bandits, and I think that was a huge reason that they walked out of Philly with a win. Yeah, it was crazy because even with that humongous run that you just mentioned, 7-0 run, but even with that, it ended up being a very close game. And at that point, it was 9-7 after that run, and then immediately it was cut down to 9-8. And so even with that... Huge run, you know, they're feeling good. They just put in seven in a row right away. You're like, oh, man, Philly is absolutely still in this. They're only down by one at this point. So then it was really important for the Bandits and the offense to continue to pour it on as they did. And like you mentioned, I think the biggest thing in the second half was just they played a much cleaner game. I think there was one penalty called the entire second half, and it was against the Bandits. I think that was a questionable call. But in general, only won the entire second half, and that was a a huge difference between the two halves just – Having five on five, the Bandits are the better team, whereas playing on the penalty kill for so long, it's very hard to find that rhythm. Higgins played out of his mind in the first half, like you mentioned, but the second half, the Bandits offense finally started to get to him. And, I mean, just to go on and continue the run that they did was really impressive. Hey, Phil, did you uh, you see the nice pick and roll that got McCulley the goal? <laughs> Shocker! That works. It seems to work. I don't know why the offense always goes so far away from those kind of pick and rolls or the, the fake picks and then you roll out. It's It works so often. And when we're going to talk about the New York game, it worked against them so often. It's just I don't know why when it's something so, so successful this season works, they went away from it. They did it for one game. I think it was the Halifax game where they just poured it on. The, the Smith-Nanacoke line last year, that pick and roll works so well. That's It probably attributed to, what, one-third of Dane Smith's assist last year was directly for Nanacoke. It was, it, it was a very confusing reason why they went away from it, but it's nice to see it actually worked. Solver had a great night, and with what happened in the second game, we might need more of him, but it's, uh, it's a... It, it was a game where you should win because you were the far superior opponent to Philly who struggled on offense and definitely struggled on defense a bit, but they, they kept with it. Credit to them. They figured out what was working in the second quarter and it was finally cashing in, in the second, in the second half where, like I said, goals were just pouring on six straight goals in the second half. If you want to add that one at the end of the first quarter and tie it in seven straight, but felt the biggest one I want to talk about here, Matt Vince. There are so, I'm going to get ripped for this again, Phil, and I don't care because it needs to be said. There are so many fair weather Buffalo Bandits fans. It's unbelievable. The amount of old takes exposed that could be happening on social media accounts from people who can't, can't hold their tongue until the game's over. They were shredding Matt Vince nonstop in this game. On Facebook pages, on Instagram, everywhere they were just—he's—he's he's over the hill, retired. Like the same old cliche statements that you're going to say all the time. T- get Delvin Shanahan in there. This is no shot at Delvin Shanahan whatsoever. Don't take it as that. It's just the the sixth time, sixth time, right? Sixth time goaltender of the year. It might be eight. I'm confusing the two numbers. It's six or eight. Either way, it's unbelievable. He's just the best goaltender year. that's. 
Yeah, he's the best goaltender that's ever played this game. He's still top-tier level goaltender. And you always ask, okay, here's the thing. If you're going to say Matt Vince needs to step out of the crease, you have to provide who's going to go in there and give the same level of perfection at some points that Matt Vince does. You can't just say we need a new goalie, especially the people say, oh, we need a new goalie. Go get Nick Rose. Nick Rose ain't coming here. Why would he come here when he's set up so perfectly in Toronto? You can't have that in your mind where it's just like, we're the Buffalo Bandits. We can go get whoever we want. You have one of the best goaltenders in the league still right now in Matt Vince, and you're trying to push him out the door. Phil, you're doing the breakdowns, and I don't want to spoil the, the, the article for tomorrow, but maybe a handful of goals were on Matt Vince that he would want back. Maybe. I mean, when you're going on the penalty kill so often and the defense is breaking down in front of you so often, what else is he supposed to Goals are going to go in. It's lacrosse. Goals go in all the time. It doesn't mean that it's always on Matt Vince. Just because he turns around and has to get a ball out of the back of the net doesn't mean it's because of him. There could be one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight things in front of him that broke down that resulted in the goal. Just because you see a goal go in, you can't always blame the goaltender. And it's infuriating, Phil, to see how many, how much slander is on the goalie that I've already told people keep my goaltender's mouth or name out of your mouth. It's just it's it's mind blowing that you have such skill level talents in the net and people are calling for his head. Yeah, and I believe it was the announcers in the second game, and obviously it turned out to be another one, but six of the eight games they've played this year, he has held teams to ten or less goals. And I don't I don't know I don't know what else you want from a goalie. I mean, ten or less with this offense, which this offense is honestly just shocking me every single night they go out and put up more than ten goals themselves with the I don't want to call them ragtag, but the I would say bandits B group that they're throwing out there every single night. It's very interesting the ways they're finding to score so consistently. But whenever your goalie is allowing 10 or less goals and the two that were higher were Rochester, where the bandits just didn't play a great game and Rochester is very good. And the other one was Halifax, where holding that offense, which is arguably the best in the entire league, to only 13 was pretty much an impressive miracle alone. I mean, Rochester just got crushed by them 17 to 7. So even keeping a team like that to only 13 was very impressive. So, yeah, I completely agree. Matt Vince isn't going anywhere. There's no one in the league right now who's available at all for any reason that would be better. And in general, there aren't too many better goalies, if any, currently in the league at all as well. So, I mean, I just I don't understand why everything, like you said, is on Vince. The second a goal goes in, he's the worst, and we need to get rid of him. And yet in these... Two second halves, he has been a ridiculous shutdown goalie that is allowing this team to stay in games and win them. Yeah, the the funny ones, the funny comments are the ones. Well, he's forty. He's he's on borrowed time. He's he's going to be retiring soon. We should see what is behind him in Delvin Shanahan. You have a win now team who is currently sitting at six and two. What? coach what gm what fan in their right mind says hey let's pull out the reigning goaltender of the year to see what's behind him for down the road you're in win now mode that's what you do is you play your best players matt vince is one of the best goaltenders on planet earth and you want to pull him for the unknown again not a shot at delvin shanahan whatsoever i loved what he has done in the summer leagues he's playing in He, he is he is a great prospect in the system 
but it's Matt Vince's crease. There's no point in seeing what's behind him unless, God forbid, knock on wood, knock on every piece of wood in my house, Matt Vince goes down. Because if Matt Vince goes down, then you get to see what you got behind. There's no point in pulling him and putting a backup rookie goaltender that has very little experience. I think the first time he's had experience was in the Halifax game where they gave him a shot where they were up so much. It's... I don't, I, I, it's mind blowing, Phil. And I, I understand some of these fans just are not the same ones that dive deeper into it than we do. And I know it's a minority. I, I am fully aware of that, but there shouldn't be any that are calling for Mad Vince to retire and ship out of town because it's flat out. It's a stupid comment. It, it doesn't make any sense, Phil. And I know a bunch of people were, I, I included went back and tried to find all the people that were saying Mad Vince is washed, all this kind of stuff, and just, you know, old takes exposed because you're getting exposed right now from these horrible, horrible takes that you were making. Yeah, both games combined, he only allowed three three goals in each of the second halves that he played, and he made a combined 87 saves on 106 shots in back-to-back games. That's the other thing about this. I mean, we're I guess we'll, we'll shift – before we start talking about that, we'll shift to the the next game that we're about to talk about. Yeah, yeah, and we'll talk about it right now because they they took down Philly in Philly, and then very next day, less than twenty four hours, what twenty four and a half hours later, they kicked off the next one because the Philly game started at seven, New York started at seven thirty. They took down New York sixteen to ten in a game where the second half almost well, I should say the fourth quarter, the second half was exper- ex- exciting in the third, but fourth quarter almost seemed like okay. Buffalo won. Let's let's pack it in because 16-10, great big time win. And Phil, uh, toot our horns. We were pretty good on the predictions. But uh, McKay and Smith each had four. Brandon Robinson, who I want to talk about, had three. Nanakoke and Spanger each had two. And Weiss chipped in one. Mad Vince, once again, 42 saves. Shots were 52-47 to 47 in favor of the Riptide. Faceoffs went to Buffalo. 18-12. to 12. Bandits five for seven on the power play. That's when you know that uh, you got some calls going your way and the Riptide went one for four, but another huge game to go back-to-back victories and get your record up to six and two. And that was the thing with Vince. It is the exact back-to-back games. I mean, I kind of mentioned I had the score a little bit lower for this New York game because I expected Buffalo to be kind of tired going into this game. I expected New York to be a little bit younger of a team in general and just fresh and ready to win coming off their first win of the year they were at home they didn't play back to back so I was expecting them to kind of just bring it to the bandits a little bit more than they were able to and I thought the bandits would be a little bit more exhausted than they were but that also goes for Matt Vince playing in his back-to-back games being the age he is this is the kind of game that you would expect maybe in this situation he might slow down but instead he has another incredible game, and like you mentioned earlier about the breakdowns for this one, I don't think I had a single one of the 10 goals really against Vince. They were pretty much all the defense or just really good shots. So Vince, once again, in a back-to-back game at his age, playing a really, really high level. Yeah, and he played every single second. I mean, there there wasn't a time where he wanted a break. There wasn't a time where he was sitting on the bench. He played every single se- He played for two of the 24 hours, Phil. Think about that. <laughs> he was on the field playing for two of the 24 hours. But yeah, once again, Matt Vince, insane. I don't have to dive into it anymore because he just stood on his head. He was making unbelievable saves. Like you said, the the 10 goals against 
if you actually look and watch the game, there were a lot of defensive breakdowns, which was a bit confusing to me based on, I mean, in the second half, uh, once again, they are a very good second half adjustment team, except if you want to throw out the Rochester game, whatever, toss that one out of the door. It it was a very confusing one, whatever. But the defense, it, it was... They started off so bad. Like there was breakdowns. They weren't switching when when there were times where you were supposed to be switching. They didn't switch. There were times where they thought they were going to switch and they didn't. The bad communication. There was picks being thrown everywhere, and you were leaving the guy who was setting the picks, or you're not coming out on the guy. I mean, I can I think can think of the one where it was on Matt Vince when you're looking at Matt Vince from the outside. It was on the left hand side. They fed it over to Josh or Jeff Teat. Jeff Teed is one of the best lacrosse players in the league, and for some reason, Priolo and Spanger stayed on the guy who was setting up the pick instead of getting out on Jeff Teed. I don't know if they just didn't see him. I, I don't understand how you lose Jeff Teed in the, in the area, but they just left him wide open. And there was one play. I'm not trying to call any players out. I mean, it's lacrosse. They got the win, whatever. It's just our job to break this down. But there was one time where the one guy was behind the net. Dylan Robinson was on him. He cut off the play. He couldn't dunk it. That's perfectly fine. But then you let up and let the pass go right to him and gave him an angle. So I think the defense just, they can't give up. I, I think there's at times where they're too aggressive. Like the Philly game in the second quarter, way too aggressive. In the in the first half here, Priolo's got to keep his temper under control. The ref was telling you to get to the bench or the 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 bench or the penalty box. You have assistant captains who can go and fight on your behalf. There's a time and a place for it. That could have killed them getting a four and a two two and then a ten game misconduct. I don't know what if you want to call bad calls, whatever. I I, I you can debate that all the time. But you got to be smart in when you're making these moves because in that close of a game you you got to be more smarter than that i know more smarter isn't the right word but i I completely (laughs) and that's a bit of a thing there but i i it was they fixed it up in the second half once again i think versus more competitive teams like halifax like new york like when you're gonna have to face colorado I think there's times where you can't wait until the second half to make those adjustments because you might be down too far to make that comeback. So I think moving forward, you need to you need to have those buckle down. There's going to be breakdowns all the time. It's lacrosse. Teams are really good. They're going to be designing plays to get guys open. But I think just moving forward, you have to be able to better communication on the back end, and I think they're going to figure that out for the Rochester game coming up. Yeah, I think the only thing I can really think of is a they look tired, so they they the defense just looked a little bit slower in general that in is the true. second yes. game, and on top of that, the bandits smartly on their side. I mean, I I think it might have caused some communication issues, but they smartly rotated players out this weekend right, the best yep. they could from their practice squad, call players active, scratched, and we're just trying to get some fresh bodies in there, and I think that just kind of caused. Like the two new players that played in the Riptide game were both on defense. I think that could have caused some confusion. You have Bomberry back there in his first set of weekend games with this team. I think he did a very good job. But again, that's another thing where you just have to gel as a defensive unit. He could have caused some confusion back there. Not saying that he played poorly by any means, but it just it's about learning to play off of each other. And with the rotation of players, they kind of had new players in McKay, not really playing too much defense because he ended up having to play a ton of offense in this game. So I think the defense, I mean, not that I want to cut them any slack because seven, I believe of the 10 goals were pretty much defensive breakdowns where players were left wide open in front of the net. That's pretty much inexcusable for a team this good. And the defense this good. You just can't have those kind of breakdowns, but 
here and there, I, I can see it happening, but the amount it did in that second game against the Riptide was a little bit concerning. But like you said, I think that's something that they'll be able to clean up for this Rochester game. Yeah, the offense, Phil, my gosh. I mean, when Josh Burns, I think we got to address that first. Josh Burns' injury seemed very, very concerning. It was non-contact. He went down. He was in a lot of pain on the bench. And then he didn't come out and he was in, in his, his suit and you know pants when everybody was getting out the field. So that's a bit concerning. I know there was stuff floating around on social media that he's going to be back. He said he's going to be back. But it's I, I take this from football. Never trust the player and their medical <laughs> statements on when they're going to be coming back especially because for fantasy. especially for fantasy because i mean there's plenty of times where hey i'm going to be playing next week and then they don't so i'm going to be waiting i'm not going to speculate on anything until we hear official news from the team or the the league and their transition pages be it whatever because there's not a ton of you know news out there on injuries and whatever i don't really care about players injuries i don't care what it is as long as we find out like he's going to be out for a while he's not going to be out for whatever Just but give me a time it take. was a very it was a very very scary injury to see him go down in that amount of pain without being touched whatsoever yeah, and I think the biggest thing that we've kind of talked about a lot of, which the Bants have done a good job, but we just wanted to see a little bit more consistency for, was depth scoring. And yes. when you have the injuries they already did coming into this game, and then you lose Josh Byrne for an entire second half, even in the first half, the announcers kind of mentioned it. He just he looked off. And I'm not saying that this was the cause of the injury or anything, but before he even had that big injury, he looked like he was – not on the field as much. I mean, you were calling it out when we were watching the game that McKay was up there already on offense quite a bit more, and it might have been simply trying to get him a little bit of rest so he would be able to go the full game without too much of an you know an issue. He might have already had an injury from the Philly game That's a good coming call. into yep. this game. So he looked a little bit just banged up in general, and then having the big injury, he just looked off going into that, then having the injury, and then the whole team, though, McKay being one of the big ones, Brandon Robinson being the other big one, players were able to step up and step up in a major way with his absence. I mean, he is the leading goal scorer in the entire league. That's extremely hard to replace. But seeing McKay put in four, Brandon Robinson put in three, and then Dane whoa, Smith whoa, whoa. just played. Hang on. Was that Brandon Robinson or was that Josh Byrne 2.0 <laughs> when Josh Byrne went out? My God, the one move he pulled off, that fake shot, the swim move, and then he got in and did air Brandon Robinson, that looked like Josh Byrne-esque. He's so funny when he's out there pulling those moves because I mentioned it even as you mentioned that as well as we were watching. And he's just – like Josh Byrne is extremely fast. He's very quick at what he does. He makes a lot of moves, makes a lot of cuts. And Brandon Robinson makes pretty much one cut and just kind of attacks you and knows that with his body size, you're not going to be able to get the ball from him. So he – does kind of a, a big windup, a fake shot, and then just kind of slowly goes around the player. And then, like you said, jumped through the crease and made a couple really impressive goals that a player of that size and caliber, you just don't really expect to be pulling off. But he absolutely stepped into that Josh Byrne type role and really took over the second half of that game. And then Ian McKay being able to put up four goals when he's not a true forward. We know he has it in him, but for both of those guys on the left side, taking over for Josh Byrne, taking over for Chris Cloutier, to be able to put up seven goals from the left side of your offense with backup offensive players. I mean, Brandon Robinson is a full-time offensive player, but he's not really known for his goal scoring. I think he already has eclipsed this season his entire career numbers and goals scored. 
So, I mean, he's having a bit of a breakout year for himself, but it's not something he's known for. But for those players to combine for seven goals on the left side was really impressive. Yeah, and uh, again, I don't want to speculate too much, but if, you know, Josh Burner is out for any extended amount of time, I think you're going to see Ian McKay up in the left-hand side more. I think you're going to see more, you know, play designs for Brandon Robinson, for Brad McCulley, because currently they're really the only depth they have on the left-hand side with the the move to move out Thomas Fasin. And it doesn't it stink that the week after you move one of the, the promising young left-handed side left-handed players in Thomas Fasin, Josh Burner goes down. It's... It's a little ironic, and that's not a shot at Adam Bomber. He looks like he's going to be a great player back there. A lot of cost turnovers, big body defender that you're looking for. It's just it stinks that the depth that you had on the left side is getting short thin right now. They're very heavy on the right right hand side, but the lefties are uh, it's, a, it's dwindling. But I, I completely agree. Ian McKay been my boy since he got drafted. I think. I, I had Nick Weiss going into this weekend slate. I, I was talking him up. I mean, I think it was last weekend or the weekend before where I was going, he might be in discussion for transition player of the year with the season he's having. This yeah, this game, by this weekend by Ian McKay kind of pushed that envelope and going, okay, okay, I see the transition game that we've been lacking last year. It's budding this year. I mean, you got Matt Spanger now. It's it, He had two goals. He was great in transition. The transition game this season has stepped up so much and has developed so much based on what it was looking like last year. Very impressive what they did in the offseason with the transition game as well. Yeah, and I mean, one of the big things we mentioned when – that Bombberry trade came through was that the left side was already a little bit weak with injuries and now you're getting rid of some of the more of that depth if anything were to happen to a big player like Josh Byrne they don't really have the depth there and here we are in that exact situation but you have players like McKay like Robinson like McCauley all stepping up and playing incredible and just the way they were able to take over that game I know the Riptide aren't you know your best test for that kind of situation where their goaltending isn't great their defense isn't great so if there's ever gonna be a time when this is the situation that's the team to kind of have a go against so we'll see if this is the situation against Rochester what this team will look like but I think they have a little bit more time to game plan for it but the offense as a whole stepped up huge even Nanakoke this whole entire weekend he had a really good weekend for himself as well getting two goals and a few assists that's something that's kind of been missing a little bit from his game. Like a lot of times he'll have three goals, no assists kind of games or one assist, no goals, but he had a really good blend of assists and goals against that Riptide. I believe he was two and three in that game. And he's another player who this weekend coming into this weekend, the last two games, he had a combined two assists. And this weekend, I think he had somewhere around five goals and four assists, something like that. So he had a really big weekend for himself as well. And Dane Smith, I don't know what else you can possibly say about the player. Uh, I think he was getting a smidge jealous that Josh Byrne was getting all the attention, and he took it upon himself to take that title back. And my goodness, the weekend he had was incredible. Yeah, I figured I since we're covering two games, we almost never do this. We can pretty much hone in on each individual player a little bit more, but because there's two games, we got to kind of condense it a bit. I'll go over it. Now you were close with Nanako. He had five goals, three assists, eight points. Ian McKay, four goals, two assists, six points with 15 loose balls and three cause turnovers. Brian McCulley, one goal, four assists, five points. Nick Weiss, two goals, one assist, 
three points, 14 loose balls, and a cause turnover. Josh Byrne, very quiet, one goal, five assists, six points, but that shows how more impressive this offense was when your top goal scorer and top point producer in the league going into this weekend was Josh Byrne, and he had more of a quiet weekend. And I know he missed the whole second half, whatever. It's still, it's impressive what the offense did. Priolo, three assists, three points, 18 loose balls, and five cause turnovers. Brandon Robinson, four, five, and nine. Buchanan, two, five, and seven. Matt Vince, like you said, 19 goals against, but 87 saves and played every single minute. But the most important one here, Phil, six goals, 14 assists, 20 points, 16 loose balls, and two cause turnovers from Dane Smith. He went from being second in scoring to blowing that out of the water and number one in scoring, and there's not a close second to him. The closest one is Josh Byrne. And I think it's like a three, 13 point gap right now. And then beyond that, it, it's down to like 20 point gap. It's unbelievable. The guy who just won MVP last year, he's doing it in such a different way. He's only got 15 goals on the year and he's got so many. I think you said he's on pace to break his assist record from last year, which he shattered last year, the old record. It's just unbelievable the type of player he is. And uh, Phil, once again, very happy he's a Buffalo Bandit and not any other player's team. Yeah, I think when I did the math, I don't know if it was after the first game. I think it was after the first game, not after the second game, but he needed to average about five assists a game. I think he he was averaging 5.6. I think we were going to give him at least five assists a game the rest of the year, and he would have broken the record by one. And he already started that trend off with seven assists against the Riptide and then put a lot of goals in as well. So he is currently on pace, I believe, to shatter his old uh, single-season assist record, which the more and more you think about that, like, he's breaking a single-season assist record. Like, that's an impressive record, and he's already going to do it possibly in back-to-back years and break his already incredibly high mark again. It's just what he's able to do is, I feel like at this point when you're a Bandits fan, I mean, like you just said, we're extremely happy to have him, but I think... There's definitely times we take a player like this for granted. I mean, how high he is in the points and how what he means to this offense. I mean, a player like that goes down, there's no replacing him. Josh Byrne, same situation. Luckily, in this game, players were able to step up. But you lose a Dane Smith and the amount of assists he is able to create, the amount of double teams he is able to pull, and I just don't know if there's any replacing a Dane Smith. I mean, he is put himself right in the thick of the MVP category. And like you just said, was it 13 points higher than anybody else in the entire league right now? That is just mind-blowing numbers that he continues to put up year after year after year. Yeah, he's he's pretty good at that. He's pretty good at lacrosse. He's he's pretty good, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think we uh, talked these ones to – to the end and as far as we can so we'll go over the bsc update even though i really don't want to phil uh i have to put on the earmuffs here i am up 1737.05 to 1524.22 but the uh the 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 score i yeah you you can say it you you can do it what for this for this specific matchup here with the bandits where i put up 95 and you only put up 59.5 is that is that the one you're you're That's talking the about? one I was talking. I mean, okay. every stat I was going over with all those players, you happen to have all of those players on your team this weekend. It it stinks. I mean, I still got a big lead, but this this hurt. I mean, this was the biggest gap I think we've seen in a very long time. Yeah, this is that. I mean, 
we usually catch up or like, you know, if, if I happen to win a weekend, it's by like three and I'm like, all right, chipping away. And it's pretty rare that we see a, a 30 point hammer drop uh, all at one time. Yeah. And it all happened and I don't like it whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll go over some milestones here. There were quite a bit. I mentioned a lot of them and, uh, I think we got all but two of them actually happen. And, uh, first one, Kyle Buchanan happened right off the bat. He made us wait for three games and then made us wait like 10 seconds. He scored his 200th goal of his career. Congrats to him. Josh Burnley needed 12 shots to make 500. He had 11 on Friday. He got enough on Saturday before he went out. So congrats to him. Matt Vince is now 10th place because Sean Evans moved up, but he is in solo 10th place in NLL history with 259 games played, passing Anthony Cosmo. Nick Weiss was only one game away. He played on Friday, so he has 100 for his Bandits career, just the 12th player ever to do that. Uh, Ian McKay, he had a lot of uh, cost turnovers, and he is now in solo 8th place for the Buffalo Bandits history. It's amazing that a player like him is you know, just starting off, you wouldn't assume he is high in the cost turnover category, but he is already eighth place solo. And uh, Max Adler, he is up to ninth place in faceoff attempts, and he is in 10th place in faceoff wins. Congrats to him moving up the leaderboard for the Buffalo Bandits. And Max Adler was squaring off against one of uh, his current competition for the Buffalo Bandits all-time records in faceoff, and Jay Thorenbert, who struggled quite a bit for the Riptide, and I think he's its nothing against the player. He was absolutely incredible, still is pretty good, but I think he is on the wrong side of his career. He is up there quite a bit. As you mentioned, though, he, I mean, is just an incredible player for the Bandits, and he was and has a ton of records for faceoffs and even caused turnovers up there. He is eighth with 48, so interesting to see Max Adler kind of squaring off against it's It's kind of like ghost of face-off past I, I guess you want to say it was he was facing off against his old bandits nemesis that he probably didn't even know existed as he's only been we were not even at a full season yet with max adler so probably doesn't know a ton of the buffalo bandits history i'm sure he knows some of it but pretty cool to see those two square off in the game so phil on our next show we have a huge preview to go over because uh we did this uh, a week ago two weeks ago now but the East first place is on the line once again. Bandits are facing off against Rochester. Winner claims first place in the Eastern Conference. So we'll go over that on our Friday show. But, Phil, we'll move on to the Buffalo Sabres. Two games to talk about. And one of them was uh, very, very impressive. The second one was also impressive, but the result did not get what we wanted. But it got enough of it. Thursday versus the Jets, they won 3-2. to two. Power once again. Again, by you. Congrats to you. Oh, Tage. Oh, congrats. Oh, Olufsen. Wow, all three of your fantasy players scored in this one. Comrie made 19 of 21 saves. Shots were 36 to 21 in favor of the Sabres. And then Saturday versus the Wild. Lost 3 to 2 in a shootout. Quinn, my boy. Woo! He scored. And Zemgus also scored. UPL 33 of 35 saves. Shots were 35 to 31 in favor of the Wild. And Phil, the record currently sits at 26, 19, and 41, or I'm sorry, wow, that would be bad. I do this all the time. 26, <laughs> 19, and 4, 49 games into the season. They're looking pretty good. I mean, this was an interesting set. We know out west how it kind of works for the Sabres. Usually when they go out west, it's just a completely different kind of play style over there, and they usually don't do all that well on their west coast trips, and this one... The fact that they continue to scrap and claw and find ways to win these games and string so many wins together has been extremely impressive. And doing it 
mainly on the back of UPL. I know Comrie played against the Jets, and he once again, I think this happens all the time. I think it happened a lot with Miller as well, and I think it just happens in sports in general when the, I guess we'll say, starter goalie in UPL is out there. The team just feels a little bit more open, a little bit more free to allow a lot of extra shots, a lot of extra chances because they trust UPL in that situation to bail them out. Whereas in this game, I mean, this is the second game that Comrie has started since coming back from injury. And both games were, what, 21, 22, 23 shots on net total. And compared to what UPL usually sees on a consistent basis of 30-plus or 40-plus shots in a game, it's always interesting to me when the backup goalie kind of steps in. I feel like the defense just locks it down a lot more. I think the play style changes a little bit more to kind of protect that goalie. And I think Comrie played a pretty good game. I think they just need to continue to find ways to sneak him in here and there so he gets a little bit more comfortable after his injury. But he played okay. And again, not a lot of shots, not a lot of saves, but only allowed two goals. I think it's a little bit of a confidence boost for him. Yeah, I mean, you can't even look at the 3-2 to two score and think, oh man, this was this close. Those two goals were scored so late into the third period. This team got dominated. Buffalo Sabres absolutely dominated the Jets in this one. And that was without Samuelson. He got hurt on Tuesday. It doesn't sound like that. But he was 22-9-3 without him. They are now 5-10. Uh, sorry, they were 22-9-3 with him. And they are now 5-10 without him. Cousins also got hurt. They Neither of them played in the next game with the Wild. Hopefully it's not bad, but I mean, he got the butt end of the stick to the face and he looked really wobbly, barely got back to the bench. Hopefully everything's good. They said everything's good, but who knows? But the first period was really sloppy. Comrie did very well keeping them in it. I mean, it, it, it he had a great three-on-one save that Clagg played absolutely perfect. I don't know how a defender could have played it any more perfect than he did. Power, three games in a row, unbelievable. The, the play of the year so far to me though, Phil, was the the Skinner to pass it to Tuck to get him open. They passed it where he was going to be. And then the blind feed from Tuck to Thompson, where Hullabuck was so far out of the net because he thought Tuck was going to be able to do something, and they left Tage Thompson wide open. It was the play design by those three. You can see such chemistry between those three. It was unbelievable. It was a play of the year for the Buffalo Sabres so far, goal of the year so far for the Buffalo Sabres. It was such a beautiful, well-designed play. This team was humming all game. I mean, I can't remember the last time a team looked this dominating for the Buffalo Sabres in the last 10, 15 years. They were so good on the ice. This and Again, it stinks because the score doesn't indicate it, but the shots were 23-6 to six in the second period for the Buffalo Sabres. Hellebeck was unbelievable. This game could have been so much worse than it was if Hellebeck wasn't in the ice. And then the other thing I want to talk about, and you know, we'll, we can move on to the next one if you want. I think they need to put Olafson on the opposite side of Tage Thompson on the power play because the teams have been favoring Tage Thompson's side so much that they're completely, he's basically a decoy on the power play now. If you put Olafson and his great shot on the opposite side, they can't favor to Tage because Olafson can rip it also. So if you have Olafson opposite Tage Thompson, I think that could free up Tage Thompson more on the power play. And that Tage Thompson goal and even just how they played in this one, I mean, we've talked about it a lot and we talked about I think last podcast episode where we just it's hard for us as Sabres fans to allow us to kind of feel that this is a great team and at, at you know at what point do we start talking about this team being a truly good team and a good team in the NHL like at, w- at what point do we have to get to 
How many wins do they have to get? You know, how many dominant performances do they have to have before we just simply accept that the Sabres are good? And I think as fans being hurt so many times so far, I think it's hard to just allow yourself to believe that until they make playoffs, you know, maybe one, maybe two, maybe three times in a decent amount of span. So I think for fans and us, it's going to be hard to allow ourselves to believe that. But that Skinner, Tuck, to Tage Thompson goal, those are the goals you see by really, really good teams. Those are kind of goals where you watch a team play hockey, even this game, like you mentioned, you watch a team play and they just completely dominate the other team. And that's something, like you said, you don't often see from the Sabres. Sabres usually are finding interesting ways to score. They find, you know, a few good goals here and there, but it's driven by the top line. They're scrapping, you know, they get a few scrappy goals as well and barely escape with a win. But this was a truly dominant performance. And even that goal, again, it's goals like that you see by really good teams that just simply look a step ahead. They are passing a step ahead and they just find these magical ways to find a player like Tage Thompson wide open with the goalie, you know, completely out of the net and he just has to tap it in essentially. And it's just awesome to see the Sabres playing as dominant as they are. Yeah, and we can move over to the wild game, their fourth game in their road trip, looking to capitalize on the clean sweep, get eight points. They got one out of it. And I mean, at that point, going into this road trip, I was like, if you can get four, really good. If you can get five, six, that's that's doing some great favors. They got seven of eight on this trip. And the Krebs line, what Zemgis Gergensen and Kyle Oposo has done for Peyton Krebs in his career and this season, that guy is he is a little pest on the ice. He's always looking to fight somebody, and he's not the biggest guy. If you would have told me when this trade comes down last year where they move Jack Eichel out the door and you bring in Peyton Krebs and some picks and Alex Tuck, I was saying Peyton Krebs was a 20-goal scorer, 50-assist guy. Now he's playing on the fourth line, playing against the top lines, a lockdown line, and he's winning battles along the boards. That goal by Zemgis Gergensen was set up because the Krebs pass, attempts on the on the on along the board. They won the board battle. But, Phil... This team was 0.2 seconds away from having a clean sweep. If if that Dalene's goal was scored 0.2 seconds quicker, I think they go home with a 3-2 victory instead of the 3-2 loss in the shootout. But that move by Tage Thompson in the shootout, that was like, you know, playing NHL 23 on the Xbox kind of move where he started so slow and then just lightning rocketed straight ahead and beat uh the goaltender at Flurry. It was it was a it was a great move and I don't think I've ever seen a player do that in a penalty shot. And even Tage Thompson's almost goal earlier in the game where he pulled it back and yep. made a, a quick move and a really quick snapshot that beat Flurry quite easily and rang not even off the outside of the post, not the crossbar, but rang dead on the inside of the post and still almost went in. I mean, he missed that by centimeters. And again, you're looking at a completely different game, a possible clean sweep. I mean, you talk about three out of their last four games. They played the top three teams in the Central Division in yep. the Western Conference and the Stars, Jets, and Wild. So you can talk about, you know, the fact that they went out West all you want in general, but they weren't playing scrubs out West. Yes, the Blues are a little lower. Yes, the Ducks are at the bottom. But playing the Stars, Jets, and Wild, those are three top, top teams that are fighting for every win they can get. And you just took it to all three of them and got, was it, five out of six points out of just those three games. So these weren't easy games that you're playing. And playing them out West, the Sabres – they just look good. And again, I think it's it's hard to allow that kind of hope in, in so far with the Sabres. It's hard to believe that you just, you just I don't know, we, we've seen it fail so many times. I feel like you're just waiting at some point for the 
wheels to fall off the bus. But for right now, they're playing extremely entertaining hockey. They're playing really good. And even in this these two games, you were missing Samuelson, who we've talked so much that you know the Sabres just aren't the same team without him. And then in the second game against the Wild, a very tough team, you're also missing Cousins, who's been an incredible aspect and just a huge part of this team and offense and just even in general as a player. And you're missing him against the Wild. So to be able to be missing some of your top players and still come away with a win, and even that Quinn goal was incredible. I mean, that Quinn goal in the Wild game, he pretty much took it all by himself found it again and he was able to you know skate in lost kind of the handle on it and then just ended up skating around for a second and pretty much in a complete solo effort was able to score and just seeing him a young player like that find that ability hopefully that can get him going again but even just to see that that talent is sitting there for the Sabres as a young forward and he's going to hopefully continue to get even better it's just incredible what this team's able to do right now so Phil we'll go over a BSC update once the Again, you won again. 14 and a half for you, 11 and a half for me. Uh, we don't have to talk about that part anymore. Are you making any changes to your BSC team? <laughs> uh, no, I think we're doing we're doing all right right now with what we got. I mean, you're missing Samuelson, which is, is helping me. You're missing Cousins, Cousins, which is helping me. So for once, you're the one dealing with all the injuries, and I still only won by three points. That's a little bit more what we're used to in the BSC as far as a winning fantasy update. I don't know what the heck happened with the band. I mean, I do know what happened with the bandits, but that was still insane. Yeah. Well, well, we don't have to talk about the BSC for a while next show, <laughs> next show, but wild card watch for the Buffalo Sabres. It's weird sitting here on uh, January 31st and talking about wild card possibilities for the Buffalo Sabres making the playoffs. It's a uh, very weird, but seventh is Washington 52 games played. They just lost versus Toronto five to one today. They're sitting at 58 points. So, Buffalo has three games in hand over them. Pittsburgh, 49 games played, 57 points. Buffalo's in ni- or ninth place, 49 games played, 56 points. So they're one point out of Pittsburgh for that eighth spot. Unbelievable. Pittsburgh, uh, New York, 52 games played, 55 points. And Florida's in 11th, 52 games played, 54 points. Buffalo has passed New York and Florida and given themselves a little bit of cushion with the three games in hand. And they're one game behind Pittsburgh with, you know, a lot of season to go. And, Washington, three games in hand. I, I think you're going to see Buffalo being able to jump past Washington. I think that's the team that you're going to be targeting, too, because of the so many games in hand. Yeah, and again, like you just mentioned, I mean, just even the fact that we're having these discussions this late in the season, to see this team carry on what they did the second half of the year last year, despite that skid that they had without Samuelson in the in the lineup, to see them right in the thick of that wild card watch is a lot of fun right now sitting in almost February. We're not quite there, but we're almost in February and we're still talking about the Sabres having potential to make the playoffs. They're not even just kind of there or, you know, we're not mathematically eliminated, but they are right in the middle of this hunt. So Phil, they got one more game before the all-star break on Wednesday versus Carolina and Carolina's really good team up in the East. So if they can knock that down and, you know, inch a little bit closer, 50 games in, I will love it. But you know, the all-star game for the the uh, PHF is also going on right now, so we will be able to hit on some of those notes on our next show. But is there anything else you want to hit on this show before we shut it down for a not-so-busy week of games at all? We just got one game to talk about and a lot of previews on our next show. It was a fun weekend. It was a fun weekend. And, I mean, the Bandits staying right in the middle of everything. They have a huge game coming up once again. Like you said, battle for the first place in the East 
I'd like to thank Halifax for beating Rochester, but I don't want to thank Halifax for beating Rochester because they're a very scary team. So that's kind of a catch-22 in that situation. But other than that, really fun weekend. A lot of points, a lot of wins. And uh, I feel like after the previous weekend where it was beyond depressing, pretty much across the board, we needed a, we needed a good positive weekend. So I'm, I'm glad we got it. Yeah, so on our next show, we'll be able to react to the final game before the All-Star break for the Buffalo Sabres. We will preview the Bandits versus Rochester, and uh, we also got some Buttes previews to talk about when we'll we'll hit on the four players that were playing in the PHF All-Star game and the preview for the next week's Guns game. But, uh, Phil, uh, it's been another fun episode. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye bye